Good morning. You are listening to KPOO San Francisco 89.5 and on the World Wide Web at KPOO.com. This is Prison Focus Radio. Slavery is back. In fact, it was never abolished. The 13th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution abolished slavery, except in prison. At the current rate of incarceration, by the year 2010, the majority of all African-American men between 18 and 40 will be in prison. The state as their captor. It's going to take people who are willing to fight, not people who want to negotiate with the enemy. beautiful people. I want to thank you for joining me here on KPOO San Francisco 
89.5. This is Prison Focus Radio. I am your host, Nube Brown. And we are going to continue our conversation with Joka Hashima Jinsai, the author of The Indictment of the State and its Prison Industrial Slave Complex, concept by Abdul Olubala Shakur. Um, I want to, there is a preamble to this uh, this booklet, this very powerful indictment. I'm going to read the very last paragraph because um, at, at each of our uh, uh, comings together here. So if there is ever to be any confidence in the integrity of the mechanisms of government, governance and public safety, the system itself must be indicted, its structural corruption exposed, and alternative forms of social organization explored as a surer means of our collective security. Joka Hashima Jinsai. I encourage all of you to uh, pick up this indictment, which can be had by going to um, Amazon.com. It is published there. All right, so we are going to hear from Joka Hashima Jensai. Like I said, we will be continuing this conversation until we get through this very powerful indictment. Um, and also to see how it relates to our daily lives and giving us more of an insight to what is taking place in our society with modern day slavery in 2022 taking place within our prisons. Uh, we are also going to be hearing from a Balagoon. Kambon Muhammad. He'll be speaking to us about uh, his thoughts on Black August. So it should be a good show. I Well, I think it's going to be a great show because the people that we are hearing from are incredibly powerful and, and so articulate um, in giving us, a, uh, like I said, just a deeper insight to what is taking place. And who is it that is actually being modern-day enslaved in our prisons. So claiming a, a new narrative and, again, shifting our consciousness and perspective on what is taking place in society, in our society here in America. So stay with me uh, for the rest of the hour, and uh, we are going to start with... Uh, we are going to start with Balagoon sharing with us his practice of Black August. Prime Minister Bellagoon, the thought I want to say today is transformation to ritual practice of self-discipline during the month of August. With the month of August once again upon us, and new Africans throughout CDCR and many ex-convicts and social activists throughout the United States gear up for a month of meditation, fasting, study, and intense workouts. Some of us have done this ritual for years as part of the cold creed and constitution, while others have done it. As a conscious act of self-development, this gives rise to the question of exactly what the aim and purpose of honoring this month by entering the fire of intense struggle is and what the ultimate objective is. For those of us who embark on this journey of self-analysis, self-correction, self-development, and self-actualization year after year, as a student of the glorious, most honorable Marcus Garvey, I embark, I embrace August as the month during which he established the Indaba, or the great sit-down of the African peoples of the world, and make the rituals a part of my daily struggle because they help me rekindle the intensity of the spirit, or siura, that keeps me on the path of my purpose. 
for those who embrace the ritual practice of Black August while incarcerated, the aim and purpose is a tribute to those who made the ultimate sacrifice for us. In the African spiritual tradition, rituals are by their nature a collective activity and an act of creating and recreating a certain energy that can embrace those new Africans involved with the practice, allowing us to expand our awareness of spirit, ancestral in other words, and to undergo the transformation necessary to experience a more holistic lifestyle. This is why the ritual practice is never done the same way every year. Sure, some of the tenets remain the same, but the ritual practices themselves are different in intensity and should reflect growth, versatility, African creativity, and a deeper spiritual connection. Remember to remember, never to forget, that the capacity of the new African to remember, rebuild, and apply the full range of creative expression is unmatched by any people on the face of this earth, thus creating and recreating more intense rituals for the mental and spiritual awakening process should be carried out every year, if possible, on a more deeper and more intense level. Understand that the practice of meditation, which I see as the uh, uh, tree of life, in the tree of lifestyle, prayers, which means focus on the object of disapprobation or desire, fasting, which means abstaining from all negative energy or non-productive vibrational frequencies, study of historical data, political ideologies, cultural traits associated with Akibalan and first world peoples, or work out extreme physical exertion to bring out the best in self, all imprint us and cause a wide range of shifts on a mental, physical, and spiritual level. Remember to remember, never to forget, that meditation in... This call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. Meditation, invocation, study, and intense workouts create a type of harmony between the energy of mind, body, and spirit. And it is this harmony that allows us to access the cosmic energy that is available to us in our individual struggle as it relates to the collective struggle. On the surface level, this deals with the discipline required to truly know thyself, as the Honorable Marcus Garvey encouraged us, and learning to realize, uh, release the energy of mind-body dynamics and their, more, their major elements, as centers of energy that function according to the universal principles and the natural laws. Some people reference them as chakras. For me, as a student of the most honorable Marcus Garvey, the month of August has always been more than a simple commemoration of his transition and great work, or the acts of revolutionary struggle by other great persons of the noble African genotype. It, it's about it's about going within and beginning the journey into a greater understanding of how I fit into the mission profile of the most honorable Marcus Garvey, or what part I play in raising the ruins and rebuilding the great work that he started amongst us. Remember that when we consistently practice the rituals of August, or African Remembrance Month, we begin a journey into self-actualization that allows us to travel the levels of the self, 
self-discovery, self-definition, self-correction, etc. Of course. Of course. We can only do this from within. We have to introvert, which is basically turning your power of thought and creative energy from the outer expression to an inner expression. This is a deliberate act of detaching the self from outer world and stimuli to the inner community of self, as Naeem Akbar speaks of, recognizing that the true power and force of being is within you. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Within our very DNA is a storage record of past lives and future possibilities. However, the knowledge of this record has been hidden by contaminated thoughts, deeds, and actions associated with the cult of the archery. So, by learning how to access these records on various levels, we begin, I mean, we bring into active operation the power of the Orisha, the wisdom of the angels, and the spirit of our ancestors. I'm speaking here of the natural levels of divine intelligence that is available to us in our creative mode as we struggle to change the circumstances and realities under which we exist here in America. Remember to remember, never to forget, that we shape our world based on the blueprint of what is within, and we define our own reality in terms of thought and cultivate uh, cultural transitions that are 100% Afrocentric. During my preparation of this piece, Brother Vitani, Brother Spence, asked me why is it that inner sight and outer awareness fail to coincide or clash? My answer to him was basically that the African psyche is simple, uh, simple literate and sensitive to signs. In other words, our psyche recognizes signs and symbols wherever they appear and react to them on a conscious and subconscious level. That's the differentiation, consciousness and subconsciousness. In this society, however, New Africans refer to signs and symbols and at times react to them in terms of instinct or intuition. Beneath this is the recognition of the fact that a separate entity in us experiences concrete reality in ways far different than that, than the way the conscious self perceives this world that we exist in. So, finding meaning in the rituals of Black August requires us to focus the psyche within towards a reality that extends beyond the everyday prison environment, because the psyche requires symbols to maintain focus, as symbols point us to the cosmic world, the world from which we draw our identity as New Africans, and to which we have our deepest connection as original Melanites. In, New, in the New African nation, this focus or function is played out, our function is played out by our national flag. In and of itself, it's just a red, black, and green piece of cloth. But because this cloth represents our national uh, our nation, the cloth is loved, the cloth is honored, and respected by all, saluted by some, and praised by others. From this, we may recognize that the red, black, and green national flag given to us by the most honorable Marcus Garvey is a symbol pointing us to the fact that production, which is green, 
of our nation must grow out of an uncompromising black passion for the great work gold of Pan-African redemption. The same is the case with the Black Star on the Black Star line that the most honorable Marcus Garvey pushed, which is the most noticeable cultural element in the national flag of today. Each element and symbol represents something greater in our world, which the new African psyche picks up on. Understand that the Black Star... You have 60 seconds remaining. The Black Star is a message pointing us to a higher dimension of self. And a this call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. Understand that the Black Star is a message pointing us to a higher dimension of self and a deeper level of spiritual consciousness. Remember that the symbolic is usually mysterious to the ordinary mind, but it is perfectly comprehensible to the psyche of new Africans, no matter how debauched we are in our thinking. Hence, we recognize that a key element of the new African struggle is symbolism. Now, there are two aspects of struggle that we embrace during this month. Number one, unplanned struggle. And number two, planned personal struggle. A planned personal struggle is rooted in our ritual practice and focused on making sure that all the nuts and bolts of our being are still in place, holding together the agenda of selfhood according to the principles of universal order and the natural laws of life. In planned struggle, all that is required is a wholehearted effort, a clear objective, and a prayer to the spirits of our ancestors for guidance, strength, courage, and vision. Remember to remember, never to forget, that the planned personal struggle is intended to keep us in a normal state and spiritual condition. Yes, sir. It is personal maintenance. The other aspect of struggle that we embrace during this month is number two, unplanned struggle. Why unplanned, you ask? Because it is the part that spirit is in charge of. Hence, it is spontaneous, unpredictable, and hardcore. A radical interaction with an energy source on a very deep level of self reached only through fasting, through meditation, through extreme workouts, and the other exertion of the self. Thus, we must always strive to be open at each level or energy center so that we can enhance the vibrational frequency of our spirit during this month. Remember that daily meditation rituals, invocations that formally invite the divine essence, the angels, and spirits of our ancestors are just ways to open the gates to our power and force of being. Fasting for a few days at a time carries with it the ability to alleviate negative energy. In essence, the struggle and all our sacrifices made during our ritual practice of August are ways to clear ourselves and restore the harmony of mind, body, and spirit, which brings us to the question of what the ultimate objective is. The ritual practice of August will, over a protracted period of time, cause a wide range of shifts on a mental, physical, and spiritual level that makes one into a special type of human being, a person so unlike those around us that we become mad.
lights in a world that is falling so deep into darkness that only a special type of person, a revolutionary humanist, can motivate, influence, and organize the people. Remember to remember, never to forget, that the rituals produce leaders who have strong conviction in that which they've grown to believe, and over time develop the courage to live up to those convictions. Hence, our insistence on being called a convict, not an inmate. Understand that we live in a world where leaders are no longer accountable for their words and behavior. So a society where thoughts, ideas, and concepts change daily. So leaders must have conviction in what they believe. In this way, emphasis will be given to the task of changing the condition wherein uh, uh, we're in and the factors that play into our survival. Which brings us to the question of leadership style and the ability to adapt one style of leadership to the circumstances and conditions of prison and society. As this, this prison is but a microcosm of the greater macrocosm beyond the walls. I myself am a natural born leader who has always led by the strength of my personal abilities. As a student of the most honorable Marcus Garvey, however, I'm also a visionary with a strong sense of mission. So during this month and those that follow, I meditate three times a day using Dr. Ashby's system for spiritual cultivation. I also study world affairs, history, capitalism, etc. See, during the time of the most honorable Marcus Garvey, leadership was simply the process of influencing people to direct their efforts towards the achievement of particular goals. As we move into the 21st century, however, the profile of an effective, highly motivated leader changes to that of a person with good verbal skills, abstract reasoning ability, initiative, social dominance, persistence, a strong drive and willingness to accept responsibility. Needless to say, these traits must be uh, adequately coupled with personal character, one's personal characteristics, or those characteristics that denote superior intelligence, emotional maturity, and motivational drive. This last one, motivational drive, is of the utmost importance to me because it involves the opportunity to achieve power and control over our situation on one hand, but involves the need for self-actualization on the other. Remember to remember never to forget that self-actualization is part of the objective of doing the rituals of August. This implies a psychological shift into a dimension of reality where life is experienced from within as opposed to without. Outward stimuli, in other words, understand that self-actualization takes place as a direct result of our internal growth and the higher purpose of our life. In conclusion, the ritual practices of August are about struggling. This call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. It's about being intimately the energy, power, and force being, and by extension, the universe. And by extension, the universe. This month is about positive connections within the socio-political consciousness 
a, a socially politically conscious community of new Africans that cloak each other with love, honor, and respect. It's about restoration as this world is now defined by internal cycles of death and decline. Embrace the season of struggle. Define your reason and dare to overcome the impossible. I remain Prime Minister Bellico on a sworn companion of the prevailing winds of change. Peace. Much gratitude and appreciation to you, Balagoon, for that gift. We are now going to take a quick musical break with Uncle George by Steel Pulse. just joining us. This is Prison Focus Radio. I am your host, Nube Brown, here on KPOO San Francisco 89.5. We are in a conversation with Joka Hashima Jinsai on his book, Indictment of the State and its Prison Industrial Slave Complex Concept by Abdul Olubala Shakur. We are now going to continue with that conversation um, I will be reading from page six 
of the indictment, which you can get again on Amazon.com. Here we go. All right, and I hope you have been able to purchase this book because we are now going to start on page six. This is the indictment part one. Conspiracy to facilitate the commission of criminal acts via the intentional underdevelopment of both wards confined in juvenile corrections and the intentional failure to rehabilitate adult offenders. Because these acts and omissions constitute the deliberate promotion of criminal activity as a means to leverage ever-increasing shares of the general taxpayer fund in order to enrich themselves, their corporate conspirators, and their political proxies, constituting racketeering activity on behalf of the California Department of Corrections and Small R Rehabilitation. CDC Small R controls every aspect of programming and opportunity for development and rehabilitation for the prisoners committed to their custody and have presided over the intentional underdevelopment and conscious denial of opportunities for viable education development, sorry, educational development and job skills training for CDC Small R prisoners. Such underdevelopment and lack of rehabilitation, particularly as it relates to presiding over conditions designed to maximize recidivism, is evidence of the specific intent of correctional officials to maximize property, service-based and predatory crimes like robbery, extortion, murder, etc., that such willful criminal facilitation is specifically intended to maximize incarceration rates and drive social support for the carceral state and in turn ensure the maximum maximization of salaries, benefits, and job security for correctional officers and officials. Then it constitutes an ongoing illicit enterprise with the specific intent of criminally misappropriating taxpayer dollars. Because this criminal enterprise is interconnected to so many other racketeering activities, it is particularly egregious as the acts and omissions by correctional officers and officials have become institutionalized, corrupting the political and legislative institutions in the state. The totality of these acts and omissions constitute the deliberate facilitation of robbery, murder, kidnapping, dealing in and use of controlled substances, burglary, petty theft, and a plethora of other criminal offenses as a means to leverage ever-increasing shares of the general fund to enrich themselves, their corporate conspirators, and their political proxies. And it is from that place that I asked uh, Joka Nihishima Jinsai, so what does this mean And uh, for people that just think that prisoners should, they've done a crime, they should do the time, and what about that group of people that they might care, but how does any of this that's taking place within the prisons affect their lives? What does it do for us on a daily basis? Here is his answer. Let's view this like we view the pyramid. Prison industrial slave complex is built upon people, humans. Those humans have to come from somewhere. And in order to have a consistent flow of a particular commodity, you need to cultivate that commodity. In this instance, you need to cultivate crime in specific populations. The first phase of that particular operation that impacts people's social life is social economic policies of the state itself. You have segments of our society who do not need to be undereducated because there are sufficient funds to provide them with a proper education. The fact that we have schools in certain communities who have class sizes double, sometimes triple that of other communities is one.
who do not have access to proper food, water, education, employment. This produces in a capitalist society where you only have your labor to exchange for the means to live in this society. That's the only thing you have. It's called exchange value. Well, guess what happens when there is no capacity to employ a particular population? The above ground economy is by and large close to that population and that leaves them only one outlet to survive. It's the underground economy. Everything in the underground economy is illegal. So how does this impact the daily life of the average citizen who is not a member of one of these population groups? Well, it produces crime. It produces demotivation for crime. Understand something. The origin of all crime is the disproportionate distribution of wealth, privilege, and opportunity in a society. That is its origin. You have, in your society, a government and institutions within your government that intentionally, purposefully, target specific populations to produce crime. Crime is the necessary mechanism to ensure a, a certain industry is filled. Now, how does that impact your life? Well, it makes you more vulnerable to being robbed, jacked, burglarized, your car getting broke in, your car getting stolen, your purse getting snatched. Explain something to you. Wow. The primary canon for human survival is human survival. <laughs> when you live in a society that tells you the only way you can survive as an average citizen is to sell me your labor and I will in turn give you a wage. Yet, they ensure you do not have the means to get a living wage. You have to meet that capacity somewhere. The way that that capacity is met, they understand something. Ain't nobody from uh, uh, West Oakland flying in kilos of coke. Right. We don't manufacture firearms in South Central Los Angeles. No. Right. So understanding that right there, uh, how are these things so readily available? How are these commodities flooded in our community in droves? Well, your Central Intelligence Agency back in the 1980s is to the operation called MK Ultra. Operation MK Ultra was designed to fund counter-revolutionary efforts in nations like Peru, uh, other South American countries, to even in Africa, to preclude the expansion of socialist revolutionary formations like Shining Path and, and other groups. Um, so to fund those, what they call black bag operations, they need the money. So what they did is they created a cheap commodity that was produced by the very individuals that they were in bed with. Cocaine was being produced by right-wing uh, death squads in South America. People who were trained in what we know as the schools of America. Right. Anyone who has any uh, degree of knowledge about your country, United States, they trained thousands of right-wing terror groups to ensure that their policies uh, uh, internationally 
in their interests internationally were protected in nations which had populations who were, how can I use, how can I say this, uh, like, susceptible to people power. People power ain't good for capitalism. Right. All right. Capital power is good for capitalism. So to maintain these open markets and the free flow of commodities from these pseudo-imperialist nations, they ensured that they got in bed with certain people who shared their economic and social values. Those people produce mass quantities of cocaine. The Central Intelligence Agency made that cocaine available for a cut rate. The people like Ray Rick Ross. He'll tell you all about it. Yes. The Freeway Rick Ross was not a single individual. We had Rick Rosses in every city across this country. At the same time, they flooded our communities with cocaine. At a time when the Black Liberation Movement had just kind of fought back against the intelligence program, it was a death nail for the Black Liberation Movement to kill them. Because at that same time, they introduced a culture which was the criminal gang culture. That culture is not indigenous to our community. That's a culture that was introduced to our communities in the 1920s. Everything I'm telling you is carried out by your government. So you ask me how these things impact your life. Well, the pandemic of narcotics addiction that you currently experience on a day-to-day basis is a product of your nation's policy. The country did that. They didn't get it. It wasn't by chance or happenstance. It was by bizarre. So they created the problem. Then they turn around and create a solution, the war on drugs. Here it is, we have these violent drug gangs terrorizing South South Miami and South Central Los Angeles and uh, uh, Oakland, and we have to do something about it. We got to break down on crime. We got to get tough on crime. And suddenly you have an 800% increase in your prison population. Suddenly you have 20,000 new laws a year being produced. So how does that affect your life? Hmm. Mm. Suddenly, <laughs> things that were previously not a crime were a crime. Check this out. They have a, 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 a there was a, a there was a social a sociology study that was done by Colin Diane, and it was documented in the book The Laws of White Dog. And it wasn't like this. They quizzed ten people. 10 different social economic groups and they gave them all the same questions about their daily life. What they found was people in what we call the upper class violated seven felonies a day without realizing they were felonies. The only difference between the criminality of members of the upper class, upper middle class, lower middle class, the middle class, the lower middle class, lower class and underclass was the amount of police presence in their community, the amount of policing, the amount of arrests, the statistics on conviction, the statistics on imprisonment. That was the only difference. The lower the class you went, the higher the policing, the higher the arrest rate, the higher the conviction rate, the higher the imprisonment rate, the higher the class, the less police presence. Police didn't view them as threats to society. Mm. Mm-hmm. These is the people when you look at your police department, drive by your community, say you protect and serve. Well, that's not for everybody. So, how does this criminal conspiracy impact your daily life? It produces crime. 
crime impacts your daily life. Crime ensures that tax dollars that could be going to ensure that you have a better quality of life is in fact going to maintain the multi-billion dollar industry of locking humans up. Humans that they consider disposable. Humans that you may consider disposable. Now, let's take this step by step. The state of California, I'm going to use it as a prototype. You have something called the California Youth Authority. California Youth Authority, for those of you who don't know, the child prison. The United States of America is the only country, only industrialized nation, who has not signed the union treaties of the child. Union treaty of the child was designed to prevent imprisonment of children. Mm. Why do you think the most advanced, industrialized nation on the planet refused to sign an international treaty precluding them from turning children in the convicts. I'll tell you why. It is the first cog in the prison industrial slave complex. They need that cog. They need that cog. So what happens when a child goes to California? I have a nephew named Clumsy Cobra who wrote a book called State Raised. It's probably one of the most salient outlines of what happens to a child. In California Youth Authority. Say the name of the, the, the book again. State State Raised. Okay. State like Raised. raised. By the mm-hmm. state. Yes, got it. Mm-hmm. State Raised. In his book, he outlines his eight year odyssey in California Youth it, uh, It's heartbreaking. These children engage in rape beatings. They ain't taught nothing. Oh, God. They don't, they don't take these kids. Check this out. In Paso, they had what's called Friday night fights, where the where the, where the guards did create a fight card of the young wards and who you want to fight, and they popped the two cells out and they let them fight right there. Then the guards would say, "Okay, time." And if they didn't stop, they had a wooden mace. And whoever didn't stop fighting, they beat them with the wooden mace, throw them back in the cell, go on to the next fight. So, uh, I said that to say this: these children are intentionally turned into understand something and I'm gonna, I'm gonna say YTS that anagram YTS stands for youth training system the environments that these children inhabit in California Youth Authority are controlled completely by the California Department of Correction and Rehabilitation. That's they like that's their policies, it's their structure. So if they wanted to, they could structure these environments in such a way that these children are rehabilitated educationally development educationally developed, uh, vocationally developed, so when they got out, they had viable education, viable job skills in order to survive in society. Instead, they don't do that. They divert all their funds to what's called incarceration, right. making sure that they locked up, chained up, beat, where they literally dehumanize these kids. Understand something, they don't have, this is occurring during the developmental phases of their brain. Exactly. So you have neural pathways being hardwired that being a predator is good. Being a predator ensures your survival. Making other people victims is a good thing because it makes you other people won't mess with you and you won't be a victim. Right. Then they intentionally release these children back in the York community with no job skills, no education. What do you think they're going to do? Yeah, and they're they going to have... do what yeah. they were trained to do. Absolutely. Absolutely. But they were orientated to do. And they're going to come right back to prison. They're going to reoffend, And they know this. 
This is by design. Not by chance and happenstance. This ain't no accident. They claimed it like that. But when they come back, they're going to come back as adults. So now I got you. Now I got you for good. Right. Because it creates this perpetual cycle of imprisonment, lack of rehabilitation, release, reoffend, wash again. Eventually, you're going to get that third strike. Now I got your ass forever. Now I ensure I have a population that I can build a $11.4 billion industry on. Right. Humans. How does that affect, how does that impact your daily life? Well, when your car gets broken into, you won't feel that. When somebody stick a gun in your face and take your wallet, you don't feel that. When people are taking money that could go to ensure you have enough water at a cheap rate or ensure that you have power that ain't costing you $200 a month. But instead, that's going to lock up some kids that they need to fucked up psychologically. Right. That impacts your life. Can I, I tell you this no, I, I, and I, I'm sorry to interrupt, but it's it's bringing me to that place where if we're talking about how it impacts our lives, there are parents attached to these children. Yes, and so what is it doing to them psychologically? And and it brings me then around and I would love for you to talk about this, please, because what what's happening in our daily lives, right, is we we are blaming ourselves for our conditions because we don't know what's been done by design, which is what you're talking about. And so what happens is now how this is impacting our lives is not only are we psychologically traumatized by our children being taken away, right? Going down these paths that they have been conditioned to go through. We also, the parents have been going through it because they've been denied all of those resources, the, the education, the drugs have been, you know, they're maybe on the drugs. Um, and so they're psychologically traumatized. Their children are now taken away that, that trauma, that you've got that trauma. And then the parents, because we always hurt the people that are closest to us, then start blaming each other as opposed to indicting the system, which is what you're doing here. And so thinking about how then we are then forced into our own traumatizing of each other and the blaming of each other about what's, what's going down and how that affects our lives. So how then do we, how do we do a good job? Maybe it's harder for us to get up every day or that, that psychological trauma is affecting your physical health as well. Right. So if uh, so, we also have this thing about you know oh our missing black fathers and then this blaming the fathers for not being there. Well, their ch- it's their child that's been taken away. How traumatizing is it for that? How traumatizing it is is it that the system has been designed to keep him from being able to take care of his children, right? And what, what, what I believe uh, a lot of people need to understand is, and they they don't. Living in a society doesn't teach you how to think. You live in a fascist society. Now, I want to explain what I mean by that. One of the core principles of fascism is creating scapegoats. They are necessary. They are a necessary component of any fascist regime. Now, these scapegoats, the way a scapegoat functions, 
way a scapegoat would impact psychological functioning of a parent in this particular set of circumstances. They have produced, based on their social policies, they created a problem, right? Problem being problem. They in turn create a solution. The solution being incarceration and a a uh, a uh, attrition based approach to any social ill. Alright, it's, it's an attrition based approach. It's not a, a solution based or or a uh, or a collective based approach. They just see a problem and they want to destroy it. Okay, in this instance, where well, they're seeking to destroy your children, but they're seeking to destroy it family ties. So how does this impact a parent? The first thing they're going to ask themselves, they go, I know, I know because I did. Um, my father did. You ask yourself, what could I do? What could I have done different? What you need to understand is nothing. There ain't nothing you could have done. Right. If you find your child in a situation where he finds himself in prison, because he's engaged in some act, either trying to be associated with his homeboys in the community, because that's socialization. And there is no viable socialization available because they've structured your community in that way. Right. Or he has, in his own mind, this child that said, man, I'm tired of seeing my mama suffer. I'm tired of seeing my mama breaking up back every day going to work with people. I'm going to go do something. And he go do something like go sell some dope and get busted. Or go with his homeboy and break in the house and get caught. That ain't on you. But you need to understand that's not on you. That's not your fault. Though, you're going to ask yourself, what could I have done different? But you need to understand there's nothing you could have done except this. You could have actually orientated your community. I mean, get with other parents who got children just like you. And restructure your community in such a way that you can defend against this particular evil. But it's difficult to do if you don't know it exists. It's impossible to do if you know it exists or refuse to believe. Understand something. Fascism has layers and layers of, of built-in protections they call reactive mechanisms. A reactive mechanism is when the system is threatened, it, it, it kicks in irregardless of the system don't got to constantly think about it. The, the, they're reactive. So what that means is if, say, somebody like a average parent in the United States of America, they believe in this government. They believe the government is good. They believe in the cops. They believe in the educational system. They believe in all this crap. Right. All right? And ain't they fault though? Because they've been orientated to believe in this crap. They have been orientated against challenging what they have been led to believe is patriotism and unity. Here's the contradiction. <laughs> they use your patriotism and your false illusion of a united country to manipulate you into being a willing participant in your own oppression. That's the nature of fascism. Now, in order to accomplish that, you need somebody to blame. 
you need something to point at and say it's their fault. What they did is they taken your children, created monsters of your children, released them back into the society, wholly unprepared to exist in your society within the confines of the social norms. They know full well they have socially alienated them to the degree that these children actually believe the way they think is right is warped. But this is all they want. And then they go out and they do something stupid, or they do something ill-advised, or they do something out of desperation, and find themselves once again in prison. And they point to them, see, I told you, look at him, he's a beast. He's a he's a criminal. These terms that they utilize, have you ever watched the episode of America's Most Wanted for cops? And look at the language they yeah. use yeah. to identify the offenders that they highlight on these shows. It's called dehumanization. Right. Dehumanization is the first step to develop an effective scapegoat because it strips away the normal human compassion that a person would look upon somebody in any adverse circumstance. You'll say to yourself, you committed a crime, hell with you. You need to be in prison. You die. You You want to know why you can rationally say that about another human being? Because you look at him no differently than you look at a roach or a mosquito. When you swat a fly, you don't feel any moral compunctions about that because you have dehumanized it. It's not a human being, it's a fly. When you step on a roach or set a mouse trap, you don't feel no compunctions about getting rid of this pet. Right. A- Unfortunately, they have cultivated society that views fellow citizens the exact same way. You're not a human. You are other than. You are something less than. You are it. You the thing that's you the problem with society, scapegoat. So, what parents need to understand is your children have effectively been transformed into social scapegoats. You can't blame yourself for that. That ain't on you. That's on the society that you live in. That's on the nature and structure of the system. And how do you combat that? The way you combat that is. First and foremost, understanding what system you live on. You have to understand the policies of your system has created this contradiction. You didn't create this contradiction. Now, what can you do? Most effective thing you can do, first and foremost, educate yourself. Educate yourself and educate one another on what's true, what you've been lied about. You've been made a thief or been lying to you. When, when, when I wrote a piece some years ago um, in Poverty Crime and Government. It's in there. It's in that book. But it's on the myth of predatory gangs. You have people who actually believe you got predatory gangs roving the streets, you know, looking to prey on half the city. That ain't what you got. What you got is damaged, traumatized human beings trying to survive in the system that hate them. That despise them. And everywhere they look, all they see is things that seek to destroy them and lock them up. So it's up to us to see it differently, like you said, to educate ourselves, 
po- poverty crime and what say the name one more poverty time poverty crime and government poverty crime and government crime and government how america criminalized the race Right, and you've mentioned that book before, and people tell people where they can get it because we just have a couple of minutes. You can get it on Amazon.com. Okay, fantastic. Because right, the whole your whole lexicon and library is there between you and Abdul is there on Amazon. Yes, we need to get that in our libraries for sure. So yes, the education, and we can. I mean, do you think that even right now, I think we should. We really have to just start trusting that. Look, even if you don't understand everything right now. You can still start loving each other better. We can still exactly. start seeing each other as the most, human beings that we are. <laughs> yes, the most powerful act, the most powerful social act, the most revolutionary thing you can do is cooperate with one another. One thing I always tell people to do, man, you got four neighbors around where you live. Okay, if you live in a apartment complex, you got people living on the side of your behind you. Don't knock on your door and introduce yourself to your neighbor. To say, hey, how you doing? My name is so and so and so and so. Live right next door to you. You need a cup of sugar, my that. Just do that. That's revolutionary. The reason why it's revolutionary is the first step toward building unity. Unity, more unity. <laughs> when unity is strong, when social cooperation is strong, oppression and state power is always weak. Absolutely. You are your own liberal. Nobody gonna come save you. Nobody gonna come save our community. It's the reason we wrote this indictment. Because people need to actually know what your system is doing here. And you just run, death, boom. You can't articulate what's happening to you because you don't understand. What I'm doing with brothers and sisters like myself, and Sister New is doing, we trying to give you an opportunity to understand what's happening. If you understand, you can move against it. You resist. Resistance is rational. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Hashima, thank you so much. I just, I so appreciate you, you giving us this time. All oh, right, my sister. All right. I love you. Peace and power. Okay, send my love to Abdul. My love. All right, peace. All right, beautiful people, that is our show. Don't forget to visit prisons.org and sfbayview.com for more education and enlightenment. Um, And we will see you next week. Get ready for Work Week with Steve Seltzer. All power to the people.